This is Mindset for Success with your host, Dr. Leslie Knudsen. Each week, she will interview women entrepreneurs to explore the unconscious psychological struggles they faced as they build their businesses and how they overcame them. Here's your host, Leslie Knudsen. Welcome, Nicole. I'm so happy and excited to have you as a guest today. Thank you so much for having me, Leslie. I'm really happy to be here. Um, uh, Nicole, you have, you have a great and uh, interesting introduction. Um, you are um, Dr. Nicole Lipkin is an internationally recognized organizational psychologist, ex- ex- sorry, executive coach, speaker, and CEO of Equilibria Leadership Consulting a leadership and organizational development firm. She's also the founder of Hey Kiddo, which builds leadership, social, and emotional skills in kiddos and their grownups. She has also shared her expertise on NPR, NBC, Forbes, Entrepreneur, and other media outlets. And she's the author of two best-selling business books. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you. Um, as Nicole, as you know, it takes a lot to be a successful female entrepreneur. And business acumen is, of course, important, but we rarely talk about the psychological issues that women often face to achieve that success. And I refer to those as those negative and sometimes persistent thoughts that can create doubt, undermine success, and can destroy self-confidence and risk-taking. Not to mention, it makes one's life not necessarily overall very happy and sat- or satisfied going through those negative moments. So I wonder if I could start by asking you to tell us a little bit about your journey to become an entrepreneur. And it has a lot of fast-moving pieces starting in childhood up to now. Um, tell us a little bit about why you did what you did and when you did. Sure, sure. So... I would say my entrepreneurial journey was forced, was hoisted upon me by my parents. So um, my parents were school teachers in the South Bronx and they were super cool teachers. They were, and this was, you know, during the the 70s, 80s and 90s. And they were the, they were the type of parents that went in. And at that point, the South Bronx was tough and they Mm -hmm. went in and they would go in early and be the teachers eating breakfast with the kids early in the morning and, yeah, they were they were incredible people, and um, they raised us in the suburbs of New York, in Westchester, New York, and, and we can't do that on teacher salaries. So on the weekends, we would go to flea markets and antique shows and sell jewelry because that was mm-hmm. my grandfather's business. And you know, I was uh, it was very hard being you know having to having to drag yourself out of bed <laughs> like five o'clock in the morning to go work. Um, rather than watching Saturday morning cartoons. And when I was five and my brother was 11, they were like, enough complaining, stop. And they gave us 400 bucks. They took us down to the wholesale district in New York. We, they said, what business do you want to be in? We said toys. So that's where they took us. We bought our, we bought our inventory. My dad took, taught us how to keep the books. And mm. he was a math teacher. My mom was an English teacher and an artist. So she taught us kind of how to carry ourselves, how to market ourselves. And my grandfather was a salesman. He taught us how to sell. So we were in business at five and 11 and I loved it. It was so fun running our own thing. And we had all of these ups and downs and screw ups and mess ups. Mm -hmm. But my parents were the type of folks that, um, 
you know, wouldn't, wouldn't jump in and solve it. They would, they would help coach us through it and try mm-hmm. to listen to the way we were thinking and, and, and coach us through problem solving. Um, you know, it was, so, so it was really an incredible experience. And from that, I had my little golf ball stand. Like I did a bunch of different little things. I loved, I loved creating my own things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, as I grew up, I also realized I was going to make a horrible employee <laughs> because I was, I worked for myself since I was a little girl. Um, you know, and unfortunately my parents passed away when my brother and I were young. Um, I was, I was my dad when I was 12, my mom when I was 19. Um, but interestingly, they really, you know, I think my life could have gone in a very different direction and, but the skills they they taught me and, and they ingrained in me that resilience, that perseverance, that the, the understanding, thinking, critical thinking, all of that really helped my life go into a, a great direction to where I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are such important early lessons. So I ended up, um, you know, in college, I was a dance major and a psych major and I wanted to be a dancer and an actress, but I chickened out and I ended up, <laughs> I ended up going the more safe route and I went and got my doctorate. Um, and I had really diverse um, interests when I was in grad mm-hmm. school. Just all through my life, I had very diverse interests. I was always interested in a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got my doctorate, I got an MBA, and I got a criminal justice degree because I mm-hmm. really wanted to go into the FBI because I loved the X-Files and I wanted to marry Agent Mulder. Um, <laughs> had the biggest crush. And I also loved business. So... I, my early career, uh, just because of my internships, I fell into the forensic route. And I loved that work. Absolutely love that work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so early on, again, like I said, I, I knew I was never going to be a great employee. So the, the early jobs I had, I was, I was learning about business and learning how to run a practice and all of those details. Mm-hmm. So I opened up my first business, Equilibrium Psychological and Consultation Services, in 2000 late 2004, early 2005. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that was a clinical and a forensic practice. Mm-hmm. And that started growing. I didn't, I never intended for that to grow, but it, it, it ended up growing pretty rapidly into a group practice, meaning other therapists came under the umbrella. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and, and now today it's, it's a 50 plus therapist practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, my leadership team running it, it's a very big business, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's very solid in, in the Philadelphia mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. But around 2007, I was just like, I don't want to do forensic work anymore. I loved it, but I just was very burnt out by attorneys and judges. And mm-hmm. so I, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's, it's, yeah, it was just, I don't know. I love the clients. I just was, I was done and I loved business. So I, I wanted a transition into organizational psychology, executive coaching, leadership development. And I'd been doing some of it here and there. So I went back and I, I got certified as an executive coach. I, I, I figured I didn't need it because of my, you know, again, the side in the MBA and I'd taken an organization. I'd done the organizational psych track during grad school, but mm-hmm. I was like, I, I, I've, I haven't been immersed in it for a while. So I did that and really glad I did. And from there I started growing Equilibria Leadership Consulting, which mm-hmm. was a much more difficult business to build. Um, the, the psych practice Mm-hmm. Once we were established and the reputation started to build and referral streams, it, you know, it, it grew. It grew in an organic, healthy way. Mm-hmm. But even in my leadership consulting, you know, I thought I would just put out my shingle and there it was. But that was very hard because it's a mm-hmm. very crowded space. Mm-hmm. And 
it's very much about credibility, credibility and people knowing you. And I, interestingly enough, it wasn't until my first book was published that mm-hmm. I was able to actually start gaining credibility and doing speaking mm-hmm. and getting in front of people. Um, so equilibrium leadership grew. Mm-hmm. And then I always had this desire and dream um, of, you know, just from my experiences with my parents and how they raised me, like just the, the social, emotional and leadership skills that they instilled in me and helped me, uh, you know, really discover and develop over time and their patience with it. Mm-hmm. It just, I just always really felt that that should be a gift that every child has mm-hmm. and every child mm-hmm. is given. Mm-hmm. And I realized how lucky I was that I was given that opportunity. And so I always had this dream that I wanted to, and especially doing leadership development work and, and all over the world and, 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 and executive coaching and working with executive mm-hmm. teams. Like I realized that these are not skills that everyone gets or has or develops. Mm-hmm. And I realized the importance, like we need to get to them earlier in life, not, not, not once you're out in the professional world. So I had this dream about building something that would help build the leadership, social and emotional skills of, of kids mm-hmm. and, and also of their parents to model it at home. And mm-hmm. that's how Hey Kiddo was born. Hey Kiddo was originally Young Leader Project. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we won a grant with the Young Leader Project from the National Science Foundation. And following that research and development, Hey Kiddo emerged. And um, it's it was a new startup that actually we, we launched everything right when COVID was escalating, oh. <laughs> which is not a great time to launch. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's a small startup. We're pre-revenue because I, I when we, because COVID was escalating, I, I couldn't charge for it. I just, I wanted to just help. We mm-hmm. actually just started charging. Um, but we have two products with that company, Hey Kiddo. Um, one is a, a coaching subscription that's delivered via text to parents, um, mm-hmm. helping, giving them activities, conversation starters, and coaching tips to help them develop these skills in their kids and themselves. And then one is Hey, and that's Hey Kiddo Talk. And then Hey Kiddo Huddle is a is a is a is a social emotional curriculum, 15 minutes a day. Anyone can do it, whether it's homeschooling parents or educators. Mm-hmm. But it's it's kind of like a no prep, just put it in place, start your kids headspace off in the right place uh, program and the futures to connect them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and, it, and it's interesting because in my journey, I, I was used to opening up and starting and growing service businesses. So I, when I came to the startup world, I'm like, yeah, I can do this. I've, I've grown two businesses. I know how to do this. I, and I know how to develop teams and coach. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like I can do this. <sighs> startup. <laughs> has blown my mind it is such a different experience so much harder right um so different hard in a different way hard and challenging mm-hmm. way. um so yeah that's that's my story of 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 my professional life is you know definitely have transitioned a lot <laughs> in some ways hey kiddo brings you all the way back to the beginning with your parents kind of giving you four hundred dollars and taking it into um i don't know where in new york to decide what what toys you wanted to buy that you, they really were teaching you all yeah. sorts of social, emotional skills, I guess, leadership as well. You were given your own money to buy your own things. So it, you know, a lot of being able to be an entrepreneur is to kind of go back on some of the upbringing stuff, which sounds like it was really important to you in terms of being able to get to where you are today. Oh, and I full circle. Absolutely. Full circle, absolutely. Yeah. Which is kind of nice. 
kind of a legacy to your parents. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Let me ask you, have you ever felt that you didn't fit in? And if so, how did you overcome the idea that you were maybe judged for not fitting in? You know, it's, it's an interesting question. I haven't felt like I haven't fit in, but, but there's been certain, there's been a certain area in my life where I don't feel like I fit in. I, I, I have, um, I have an enormous amount of drive mm-hmm. and um, energy toward the things I'm energized to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so where I feel like, and I like to do a lot of different things. Like I like, I like having a, a, a ton of different balls in the air. Mm-hmm. So where I felt, where, where I've kind of felt a little weird in my life or a little bit different than others or um, maybe judged at times mm-hmm. is, is the amount of different things that I do and the, and the different ideas I have and wanting to go mm-hmm. after them. Um, so I think I, you know, and it's interesting because when people have given me feedback, their immediate assumption is, oh, you're just doing all of this you know, so, so you don't have to cope with the loss of your parents. Mm. That, that's always been, and, and you have to understand, I, because I'm a psychologist, I have a lot of shrink-like friends. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but that's never yeah, been, like, yes. like, and, and I don't get analyzed that way now, but I think mm. earlier on I did. I mean, and it was a little abnormal. Like I did three graduate degrees at the same time. Like that's not normal. Um, mm. I, I have three businesses. Like I, I guess I work in threes, but Mm-hmm. The immediate assumption that it was, you know, avoiding coping with the loss of my parents mm-hmm. was never accurate because I can remember as a little girl doing a million different things. Mm-hmm. I was a dancer, I did theater, I did ice skating, I did dance, I did a lot, I did fencing, I did, I always did a lot. I always enjoyed having a lot. What I do think is that I think that having a lot of responsibility, again, having those early losses, having a lot of responsibility on my shoulders or feeling mm-hmm. that weight of responsibility, mm-hmm. I think that shaped the um, uh, my tendency sometimes to persevere when mm-hmm. I shouldn't be or, or, or to show drive in a certain area where mm-hmm. I shouldn't be or, take, or taking on other people's stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's that. Yeah, and I wonder, I mean, drive clearly you have and had have had for a long, long time. What about the piece of being able to listen to yourself and take care of yourself? Are you able to do that? Have you always been able to do that? Are you still working on doing that? Yeah, I suck, I suck at that. I mean, I, like mm-hmm. I'm always, that's always been like, oh, I'm terrible at that. I'm really good at telling other people to do it. Um, I will say I'm getting better. And like, I really do believe people are brought into your life for a reason. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I will say one interesting thing is I'm, I'm, my husband, Matt, um, we, he, we're so different when it comes to drive. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's, he, he needed a fire under his butt and mm-hmm. I need the fire dimmed down under my butt. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that's what we brought in his life. So I will say I, I've learned more um, from, you know, living with him and, 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 and that relationship, I have learned more how to care for myself. I think the other thing is I had, um, I have Charlie is my son who's 20 mm-hmm. months old. I had him later on in life and mm-hmm. he has also helped me start focusing and it's been hard. Like I feel, 
I feel the mental struggle sometimes of like turning off and being present and like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and being as present there. And I, but I think this combination has really made me reprioritize and like mm-hmm. want, want the like, like be okay with just like sitting on the floor playing and for like an hour and really enjoying that. So I think these other influences in my life have helped me. It definitely, I will say that's a weakness of mine. It definitely hasn't been internal. Mm -hmm. It's from other things outside helping me get there. Mm -hmm. How about um, the experience of being rejected in business? Has this ever happened to you? And if so, what did you do to manage that? emotional yeah so I think you know I've had like it's interesting because I had these early successes like again equilibrium psych really organically grown it's became a very successful business despite Mm -hmm. some of the things that I (laughs) despite some of my poor leadership mistakes there's that Mm -hmm. Um, and poor choices I made but um I think that was an early success and I think, and I'm going to answer your question about rejection. And I think like having a, having a book published like that, mm-hmm. that and, and finding an agent, like that doesn't happen. That's usually a much harder process. It happened to be just good timing. It was, it was a topic that was very hot. It was becoming mm-hmm. hot. And so it was the timing. It wasn't me. Mm-hmm. It was the timing. Mm-hmm. But I think because I had that, the rejection parts felt deeper. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, it's supposed to all work out. Right. So, you know, yeah, I've had plenty of rejections. I think growing equilibrium leadership has been really, really, really hard. And I think mm-hmm. the rejections are a long fall there because you work so hard to get the business. And then if it doesn't pan out or the client goes to someone else, it's like a real stab in the gut because put so much into that relationship. Take mm-hmm. mm-hmm. kiddo talking about like startup and that entrepreneurial game, like that's rejection and failure mm-hmm. constant. Mm-hmm. Like it is. But I do feel like over the years, I've developed a little bit of an iron gut um, mm-hmm. for it. And I've also really worked on my mindset around it. Like I don't see rejection as failure. I really just see it as information. Um, so I've really worked at having a very tough mindset around that, that because I can't, if I, if, I think if anyone goes there with the ups and downs of rejection, because that's just part of business. It's part of leadership. It's part of taking risk. Like you're going to fall and you're going to fall on your face hard sometimes. So for our young listeners, you would yeah. say in terms of rejection in business, it's normal. It's going to happen. Yeah. And what other sort of action steps can you give them to kind of work through that? Well, I, did, I think it's, I think, I think it's a lot about reframing. Again, if you're going to associate rejection with failure and you have a really negative association or relationship with failure, it's going to take a lot of emotional energy from you. If you can reframe it as information, if you can reframe it as information for what's working and what's not, and you can also kind of look at it as really useful feedback, probably the most useful feedback mm-hmm. to help you think deeper, to think more strategically, to, to really work through, okay, why, why is this happening? How is this happening? What did I do to contribute this? Mm-hmm. It creates this like amazing relationship mm-hmm. with, the crap part of business, the negative side of business. Like it, it becomes like, I actually really like, it becomes this fuel for 
not only your personal self-awareness, but the self-awareness that's required when creating a business or creating a product. You, it, you require that the feedback is imperative. Mm-hmm. So I think it's changing, adjusting your relationship and how you see it. It's, this stuff is so useful. It, and it, you need more is information to build on your next success <laughs> step to be successful as opposed to seeing it as really undermining your ability to go forward. Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is we're surrounded by all of this. We're surrounded by feedback constantly, not just verbal feedback, but just like how people relate to us, you know, customers choose to be with us, choose not to be with us, you know, fundraising rejections, Mm -hmm. all that stuff Mm -hmm. gives us such vital information to adjust and to mold and, and evolve. And like the cool thing is we get to evolve until we die. So if you're not evolving, you're dead. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like, again, this is so useful in growth and entrepreneurship is not for everyone. This right. is a hard journey. It's a constant look in the mirror. It's constantly, New I find you have to keep your emotions in check and constantly look at it with a lens of self-awareness. So let's talk about emotions in check. How, how, um, have you ever faced uh, business decisions where you maybe you were too emotional? Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and how, and however, how did you face this and what did you learn from the situation and maybe brought forward in your um, recent business decisions? Well, I think, I think the best example from my personal experience happened with Equilibria Psychological. So when I, when I first started growing that business into a group practice, I think people in my field, like psychology, I think it can be kind of weird. So I didn't want to work with weird people. Like I wanted to bring in people that were down the earth and cool and all that. So I, I brought in my friends who were therapists that wanted to start building their own practices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was great. Like the, the positive side of that was that we all love each other so much. Mm-hmm. So the cultural thing, like you, as a client, you would walk in there and like, you would feel the love. Like it was, and people were really down the earth. And it was fun. It was great. The bad part about it is when you're, <laughs> you know, I was the owner of the business. Like I, it was my, it was my butt on the line mm-hmm. and I was making decisions based on my relationships and my emotions and feelings for people versus logical, thoughtful decisions that would help the business thrive because if the business thrives, the people thrive. Mm-hmm. So like I did stupid things like, you know, once we got on insurance panels, cause again, this is in the city in Philly, like is a big enough practice. We had to start getting on insurance panels. Um, <laughs> I would pay my therapist regardless of if I got paid or not. Mm-hmm. So what that means is that all of a sudden, like, you know, that sometimes therapists wouldn't collect co-pays because they felt bad or wouldn't write their notes on time. And so we couldn't submit like, and then all of a sudden it was too late and insurance companies wouldn't pay. Like you don't do that. That's a terrible, stupid thing to do. And so I was finding myself, like I was making these decisions that were emotional based on what I thought people wanted. And meanwhile, I was losing it. I was like, again, finding, I hated the business. I hated it. Mm-hmm. I found it to be a burden. I started resenting all my friends that were working there mm-hmm. <laughs> because they were perfectly fine. While I was like, oh my God, where am I going to get the money to pay the bills? It was just right. so illogical. So it was totally based in emotion. And it was funny because I built it up in my head. You know, eventually, I obviously, I changed that model. 
but I built up in my head that it was going to be the biggest thing in the world. Like when I did it, they were like, why didn't you do this years ago? What's your problem? Like I was so dumb. Like, okay, thank you. So what I've had to do. So there's examples of that. There's also examples of not firing people well past their expiration point. Like when they just weren't a fit, but you know, feeling, feeling bad that there were like, you know, having family problems or this or that, like, I've just always let in the past emotion get in the way. And and I do sometimes now, or my, you know, wanting to take care of people, like I'm definitely a nurturer. So I have to be so like today, I have to be so prudent, so careful uh, that when I start feeling that creep up, because I, 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 being aware of it, I now know the red flags that happen in my brain and my body when it's starting to creep in that direction. So I just have to pay such vigilant attention to when that's starting to happen because it always leads to a really bad business decision. <laughs> um, so I just be vigilant. Thank you very much. Believe it or not, we're coming to the end of our podcast. Lots of great um, personal stories and also inspirational sort of journeys to share with our listeners. I want to thank you very much for coming on today and um, uh, wish you lots of luck in all of your new inspirational journey adventures. Can you tell me where people can reach out to you if they want to learn more about your work? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So you can email me. You can go to actually the websites to email. That would be easiest. So you can either go to www.hey-kiddo.com, that's H-E-Y-kiddo.com, or Equilibria Leadership, which is E-Q-U-I-L-I-B-R-I-A leadership.com. And I answer the emails on the contact us form. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nicole. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. This podcast is brought to you by Women Entrepreneurs Global, the first startup studio and digital DIY startup platform for women. For more information on her guests, this podcast, and many other female founder programs, please visit womenentrepreneurs.global. We believe in open and non-stigmatizing dialogue about the hidden psychological difficulties experienced by many successful entrepreneurs and highlighting the strategies used to overcome them, such as the fear of failure, of not being good enough, and that loud, chattering internal critic is critical to helping other founders achieve success. Please join her next week for more Mindset for Success stories. That was Dr. Leslie Knudsen, and you can drop her a line at dr.lesliekanudsen at dr.lesliekanudsen.com.